Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Elevate Church in Perth, Australia. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps. Great to have you here. This is the first of our two Christmas with Elevate Live experiences, and we think it's a great decision that you've made to be here uh, this morning, because we know that Christmas is busy. We know that the season has a lot of decisions to be made, and not only can we feel physically fatigued, but actually can experience something that's known as decision fatigue, and you know, things like what sort of presents are we going to buy, and for whom, how much are we going to spend, what are we going to eat, what are we going to serve, who are we going to invite, uh, which relatives are we going to spend time with? Which relatives are we going to avoid? You know, all, the, all of these sort of decisions just kind of stack up on us. And then we lump in, us churches lump in, tens of thousands of churches right around the world, lump in uh, the invitation to come and spend at least one hour of, of this season to maybe even consider the question uh, and make a decision around the question of the Christmas story. The question, is it true? And I know many of you, like me, believe it's true, but you know, some of you, maybe that's not where you're at, maybe you're not a church person or whatever the, your backstory is, you're here this morning, and, and I get it. If the Christmas story seems a little far-fetched, I get it. At first glance, I agree. I mean, think about it. Here's this teenage girl named Mary. She's engaged to be married to a guy named Joseph, and one day, magically, she gets pregnant. But it's not with Joseph. In fact, she claims that it wasn't with anyone. I didn't sleep with anyone, but I just got pregnant. I don't know how it happened. Yeah, good one, Mary, as if. So she goes and tells Joseph, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And he's going, it wasn't me. Who was it? And she goes, uh, what? Who did you sleep with? Uh, Nobody. No. In fact, and then she, like, come on, think about this one. Then she says, in fact, what actually happened was an angel appeared and an angel said to me, you're going to get pregnant. It's going to be by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, say what? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And get this. It's not just any baby that I'm going to give birth to. The angel said that I'm going to give birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one our people have been waiting centuries for. Uh huh. And now, angels started popping up like Pokemons all around the area. They're popping up to, to wise guys, I mean, wise men. They're popping up to shepherds. Uh, I think it was a cruel hoax that the only people that, that the angels didn't appear to, to assure them that what Mary was saying was true, was Joseph. He's the one that needed the assurance more than anyone, and he got nothing. So I get it. This story, I mean, come on now. Is it true? Well, you have to decide for yourself. But I want to shift gears this morning, and I want to actually ask a different question. Not the question, is it true? I want to ask the question of the Christmas story, is it good? Because here's the important thing about this question. If the Christmas story isn't good, then I don't want it to be true. I don't want you to have to buy into bad news. I wouldn't be buying in, and I'd be standing up here recommending, oh yeah, it's true, but it's not good, so run away. So here's the question. Is the Christmas story good? Because how we treat news 
matters. And how we treat news is very much influenced by whether or not it's good. And actually, one of the groups I mentioned just briefly, and we, we sung about it earlier in one of our Christmas songs, one of the groups that the angels appeared to and told them the story was this group of shepherds that were all kind of like somewhere with sheep, and angels appeared to them. And this, is, and this is day one. This is Jesus' birth date. It probably wasn't December 25, but the point is, on the day that Jesus was being born, the angels appeared to a group of shepherds, and they literally said this to them. But the angel said, do not be afraid. Now, it's important to notice this because angels only turned up to either smack you on the wrists because you've been doing something bad or to give you some good news and, and you didn't know which. If an angel appeared, you're like, ugh, terrified. And they said, okay, cool. Don't be afraid because in this instance, <laughs> I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. See, because whether news is good or bad depends, informs how we process it. So, for example, you're scrolling through your news app, scroll, 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 looking at different headlines, wondering, you know, which one am I going to click to read the story? Clickbait, headline, 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 headline. And there's one that causes you to stop the scroll. It says, Netflix to double its monthly subscription price. And you look at it and you think to yourself, I sure hope that's not true. Because when we see bad news, we hope it's not true. And so you like, oh, you click that and it says, in Europe, and you're like, ah, oh, it's bad, but it's not true. So I'm good with that. But then when we scroll, 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 and we see a headline that looks good, we hope it's true. For example, if you saw this clickbait headline, consuming processed sugar exceed, extends life expectancy, you'd be like, oh, I sure hope that's true, <laughs> especially around Christmas. <laughs> this is going to change everything. Or not. <laughs> so it matters whether the news of Christmas, whether the story is good, not merely true. And we have accounts that re remained by four different people. And all four of them had a different kind of run-up to writing these accounts. But these were the accounts. Collection of eyewitness stories and eyewitness actual people themselves who were the eyewitnesses recording and others were interviews with eyewitnesses of the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. And one of the reasons that Jesus came to earth was actually to physically demonstrate to us what God's really like. Because people had a notion at that time what God was like, and it was a little bit off base. And one of the reasons God sent Jesus was to say, this is my son. And what he says, and how he says it, and to whom he says it, and the sorts of things he's gonna do, that's actually gonna show you in the flesh what I'm really like. And so these people recorded the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. And thankfully, four of the accounts remain today. One of them is by a guy named Luke. And we've got an app. If you're new here, we've got an app. You can download it. If you've got the app, you can tap the Bible tile. In a moment, we're gonna throw the bits of the story that Luke recorded on the screens anyway, so don't get too wigged out about this. But here's the backstory. In this era and in this part of the world, the only people that we now have written accounts of are rich people. 
Because back in 2,000 years ago in that part of the world, most people weren't educated to be able to read and write. And so if someone wanted to have their life recorded, like a biography, they would actually pay a scribe uh, to, to, to write the, their life story. So effectively, the only people in history whose, whose biographies have survived are rich people. It, not that they did anything better necessarily in every case than some of the poor people, but the poor people couldn't pay somebody to write this story. And so this is Jesus. He was not a rich person. He didn't keep money for himself. And so the fact that anybody wrote about him that wasn't paid money to write about him was a miracle. And not only that, he wasn't even still around when these four accounts were written, including Luke's account. And the way Luke's account came about is Luke was a doctor, a medical doctor, and uh, he was commissioned by a wealthy guy, but the wealthy guy didn't want Luke to write his story, the wealthy guy's story, his name was uh, Theophilus, probably. And uh, he was probably a Christian, a Jesus follower at the time. And what we, what we think happened is that the- Theophilus, I mean, Luke might have been his doctor during a, a routine monthly checkup, I don't know. But, but he offered to pay Luke for Luke to take a time to go and collect the stories about Jesus, the things he said the things he did, because it seems at the time there were a lot of people collecting stories and writing stories. There were a lot of verbal things being passed around from the eyewitnesses that spent time with Jesus. But it it, it seems that no one had kind of put them in order, like collected them all and kind of put them in order. And so, you know, Theophilus, he's a smart guy. He decides, well, I'm going to get Luke. Luke's a real strategic thinker. Get him to go out, get these stories, interview eyewitnesses, and then put together an, an orderly account. And so when we read Luke's account, that's what we're reading. And by the way, there were many more that were were written at the time than just the four that remain, but only four survived antiquity. And uh, this is one of them. And when you read them, you see the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. And you get to make up your own mind whether or not they're good, whether or not it's good news, whether or not these accounts are good news. In fact, when they started to come together, and what we now have is Matthew's account and Mark's account and Luke's account and John's account, and when they started to come together in the first century, they became known as the Gospels. And we still use that word today, but the backstory of the Gospel comes from a, a, a ye olde English word called Godspell, or Old English and Old Germanic, uh, very similar. It would have been Gutspiel in German, which literally translates good story. And they eventually just started referring to it, these accounts of Jesus' life, what he said and what he did, as good news. So they knew, living literally in the days and years after Jesus had been on this planet, that the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did, they considered them to be good news to the extent that that's what they called them. And so I'm like, all right. It's only Christmas once a year, so I only get one swing at this. Which story am I going to share? Because i got to tell you, there's a lot of stories. And from my point of view, they're all good. And so I want to take this just to one. Um, That's all we've got time for this morning. Before we get to just something happened before this, and then Luke goes on to record this story. But (laughs) what happened just before the story I'm going to talk about is uh, Jesus was teaching a, a crowd of people in... Uh, a large house of a, of a wealthy person. And uh, Jesus was so popular that, that he had crowd control issues. 
and he's in teaching in this, in this house, and it's full. I mean, full to overflowing. The doors are packed to overflowing. The windows are packed to overflowing. So if you weren't already in when he was started teaching, you weren't going to get in. And these four guys bring along their buddy, who's a paraplegic, because they'd heard that this guy, Jesus, didn't only teach good news, but he had the power to heal people. And so they thought, well, hey, look, got nothing to lose. Let's bring him to Jesus, and maybe Jesus can abracadabra him, and he's a paraplegic, and maybe he can not be a paraplegic anymore. And so they came to this house, but it was full, full to, to jam-packed, and they couldn't get in. But they were intrepid. They didn't like to take no for an answer. I respect that. So they decided to kind of change their strategy a little, and they climbed up on the roof. And then I can just picture Jesus' teaching, crowd there, Jesus' teaching, and straw starts falling, and bits of clay and, and mud, and it's like, and then a little beam of light appears. It's like, what in the world? And then this stretcher just kind of goes, and the four guys, are, friends are up there on the roof, lowering their buddy. And there, there he is, on a stretch in front of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, <laughs> I love this, he's a paraplegic. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. And he says to Jesus, I didn't come here for that. <laughs> and then Jesus says, and take your stretcher and get up and walk. And in that moment, Jesus demonstrated that he both had the power to forgive sins and to heal. That was good news. Luke recorded that. The eyewitnesses, of which there were many, he recorded that. And then Jesus left that house and went on up the road with some of his buddies. And he came to like a, a, a crossroad. And it was a toll road. Well, where did he call it a toll road? We would have called it a toll road. And at these toll roads, instead of having like the, the swinging arm, there was a, a Roman guard there, and it was, a, it was a Roman spear. And you didn't get to go through and have that guard lift the spear up unless you paid a toll or a tax to the tax collector that was, had a booth beside the road. It was not negotiable. And so these tax collectors, they would set up the booths at the cross, crossroads, and they would collect money from Jewish citizens on behalf of the occupiers, which was the Roman Empire. And they would send that money back to Rome. Plus, they'd also take a bit extra. Like if the toll was uh, 10 bucks, they might take 14 bucks and they'd keep the four, which Rome didn't care about. As long as Rome got its 10, they were happy. The problem was, is that these tax collectors, when, first of all, they were working for the enemy, the occupiers. So they were hated and reviled for that. And secondly, they were stealing from their own people taking that bit extra just to line their own pockets. So it, it, it should come as no surprise that tax collectors had no friends except other tax collectors. Their family had disowned them. No one would spend time with them. No one would get, go near them apart from when you had to just hand over the money and that you wouldn't like chit-chat at the booth. No, you'd be begrudgingly hand over the toll and keep on moving and mumble under your breath curse words, adult words, to, about this tax collector. And so Jesus starts on the, a walking from, from the house to where he's going next. After this, after the paraplegic and the whole thing, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. And Jesus said to Levi, follow me. <laughs> Nobody talked to tax collectors. No, I'm sure some people just kind of lobbed the money 
so they wouldn't even have to get near them. But here we have Jesus in this moment getting so close to this guy who was reviled by his own people, disowned by his own family. This guy, Jesus, who was a rabbi, who had just said that he had the power to forgive sins and to heal people and demonstrated it. This same guy, he's now going right up close to a tax collector, to somebody that everyone else thought that God hated because they hated and they thought that God hates the people they hate. Jesus went up to him. And not only, and he didn't go up to him to judge him. Oi, stop stealing from your people. He said, Levi, come follow. He gave him an invitation. This is good news. This is good news for you. Except for the perfect people here. But, but, but for the rest of us, this is good news because this tells us that as far as God's concerned, no matter how low you've gone, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter how much your standards have slipped, He is still interested in you. He's still willing to approach you. And when He approaches you, He doesn't first judge you or condemn you. Maybe not condone you, but He doesn't. He invites you to come follow Him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Left everything. Not just meaning like he kind of like left the booth and handed over to his 2IC for the day. He literally quit that life and went and followed Jesus. There was something so good and so compelling. He would have been getting pretty wealthy. Jesus didn't offer him a pay rise. He just said, come follow me. And there was something so compelling about Jesus that caused Levi, the worst of the worst. Some of you know this, but some of you, this, when you read the accounts, like Luke's account, there are two categories of baddies. There are sinners and tax collectors. They were so bad at being baddies, they had their own unique category. And yet this bad of the baddies, Levi, a tax collector, found something so good and so compelling about Jesus that he decided to get up and follow him. And by the way, at this point, he didn't even know where he was going. Jesus said, come follow me. He didn't ask where. He just said, yep. Now, he didn't ask where. <laughs> and Jesus says, ah, oh, uh, your house. And Levi's like, come again? My house? My parents won't even come over to my house. My kids, they won't come out over to my house. And you're, you're a rabbi. You're not meant to come over to my house because we're, we're bad. And if you come to our house, you, you'll get like tax collector cooties and you won't be able to go back to the temple because that stuff doesn't come off. And Jesus is like, no, no, that's, that's, that's how it used to be. But I'm here now and I'm here to show you what God's really like and who God really likes. And you'll come to know that people who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus, and it was different, and it was unsettling. <laughs> and it's going to come as no surprise to you that the only people that Levi invited to the dinner was other tax collectors, because he didn't have any other friends, and if he tried to invite them, they wouldn't have said yes. So here we find Luke recording more of the story. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a, <laughs> and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the religious leaders, these were the people who thought that God didn't like 
people who weren't like them. They had their own, like, God only likes perfect people, of which they thought themselves to be perfect people. And they wouldn't have actually even gone into the house because these, the Pharisees walked around literally with their hands like this. I do this now so I don't have to shake people's hands. That's another story. Uh, <laughs> some things just don't wash off. But uh, no, the Pharisees would walk around this so that they wouldn't have to touch unclean people because if they touched unclean people, they wouldn't be allowed to go and do their job in the temple. So they wouldn't have even gone into Levi's house, but they would have probably just been outside, camped outside, looking in, listening in. So they kind of like send a message in to Jesus and the people gathered around Levi's dining table. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There you go. Both categories. We have both types, country and Western. <laughs> and Jesus sent a message back. It's like, all right, here, I'll write this down. Take this out and, and, and give this to them. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's two things that just jump right out about Jesus' response. I haven't come to call the righteous. Jesus didn't come for perfect people. Jesus sure as heck didn't come just for church people, even though we're not perfect. He did come for us, but he came for everyone. This was good news for all people. If you think that you're righteous, I haven't come to call the right. If you think you're self-righteous, if you think you're perfect, if you think you're already right, if you think you don't need God, if you don't need healing, if you don't need restoration, if you don't need forgiveness, then I, 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 can't, I can't offer you anything because you don't think you need it. You think you're already there. You've arrived. Fantastic. I haven't come for you. I've come for the honest people. <laughs> I've come for the honest people, the sinners, the people who know that there's a standard and that they know that they don't meet that standard, the honest people. Like Levi and his friends, they know there's a standard and they know they've been living well below it. I've come for them. Now, I believe that God actually has set a standard, but you know, some of you might not believe there is a God and if there is, what does he care and what's his standard matter? But I believe there's a standard. And by the way, you actually know there's a standard. Or if you don't know there's a standard, and if you don't know there's a standard, you wouldn't know if you'd be meeting it, just ask your spouse. Hey, have I been meeting a standard? They'll tell you. The answer, I'll tell, I'll tell you. I'll spare you the, the argument. No. Yes, there's a standard. And no, you haven't been meeting it. <laughs> or ask your kids. Or ask your parents or ask your colleagues. They'll tell you, oh, yeah, there's a standard. Have I been meeting? No. No. Sometimes, but no. <laughs> or, if that's, or, if you, or if you think everyone in your world is delusional because they're telling you, yes, there's a standard and you haven't been meeting, you're like, oh, please, as if. There's another reason you know there's a standard, and that's because you hold other people to it. Where'd that come from? Even if you don't believe in God and even if you don't believe God has a standard, you know there is a standard because you hold other people to it. Thieves don't like being stolen from. Cheaters don't like being cheated on. Liars don't like being lied to. Well, how could, how dare they? What? 
the honest people know there's a standard. And the honest people know that they don't meet that standard consistently. And so relationships get broken and fragmented. Finances get torn apart. Trust gets eroded. Health gets compromised. And the list goes on because there's a standard and we don't meet that standard. But if we're honest, Jesus said, I love that you're honest because I'm good. See, if Jesus wasn't good, then, and you know that you don't consistently meet the standard, then I recommend you play hide and seek with him. Run away, duck and cover, because he knows, like you know, that there's a standard, and he knows, like you know, that you haven't been meeting it, and he's coming to get you. If it's not good news, run away, whether it's true or not. But if it's good, then that changes everything. He approaches us. And then he does this thing, and this is a church word, calls us to repentance. It's a church word. Let me take you to Bible college. You're smart. The word repentance essentially means to turn around. And you can kind of imagine it that, that, that you've been and, and I've been living my life in one direction, moving away from the standard that God has set, living less than his best, whatever that looks like. And Jesus approaches us, but he doesn't approach us because he's bad. He approaches us because he's good. And he says, hey, come follow me. And our best play in that moment is to repent, to turn around and to start following him. And what he promises, if we respond by repenting, church word, turning around, following him, what he says to us is I will make you better and make you better at life. I'll cause you to see everything, and I mean everything differently. I'll cause you to see people differently. I'll cause you to see yourself differently. I'll actually lead you and guide you and direct you and encourage you and empower you to better and better and better and better. And friends, if this is true, that the Christmas story is good, that Jesus is good, then my encouragement to you, my encouragement to you this Christmas, wherever you are, whatever direction, however far you've gone, however low you've gone, to consider listening to Jesus' invitation to come follow me and to simply like Levi did, turn around and trust him and see what God does for you, in you, and through you. It's a privilege to play our part in all that God is doing in and through you. To find out what your next step could be or to partner with us to reach more and more people by giving financially, head to our website elevatechurch.me and download our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps.